0: Today um, is um, Thursday, and tonight, Friday, is the Yortzeit, the anniversary of the uh, Rabbi Rishchem Lusato. And tonight uh, is the Sphere of Yisoyed Shebe Yisoyed, the uh, foundation of the foundation. <clears throat> so I wanted to speak a little about that, sort of like I wanted to dedicate this year to the memory of the Ramchal. And talk a little about him, and then talk about one of the things that really he was uh, tremendously occupied with. Uh, you know, you really get an appreciation of who he was. You know. Uh, <clears throat> uh, also, also, I want uh, to uh, uh, mention <clears throat> that I am also that this year go, should go for a uh, alias Neshama. Uh, an a, uh, ascension of the soul of uh, Regina Bas Yosef Ruuvein that she should have a Ali and a shama because certainly because of this year. Now let me let me talk a little about <clears throat> about Ramchal. The Ramchal uh, was born in seventeen oh uh, seven, and he passed away seventeen. 47. That's basically, and he lived in different places. He was born in Padua, Italy, and then eventually he moved to Amsterdam, uh, and then eventually he was he moved to Aco, in Eretz Israel, <clears throat> and he had a tremendous amount of problems, in his life, because he was very unusual. He was a child prodigy. Uh, he knew the Ari. The Writings of the Ari when he was 14. He was a clearly tremendous child prodigy. You can see that now. He wrote Sforam when he was 16. And it's hard to believe when you take a look at the forum that he wrote. You know, he wrote the Sefer Das Tunis, which is probably one of the greatest Hashkofer Mahashova Sforam on Judaism when he was only 28 years old. I mean, People are 28 years old, they don't even know what they're doing with themselves. And he already produced one of the greatest forums on, uh, on Jewish uh, philosophy, on Ash He was also highly unusual because he was called a Chochem Koilil. means he wasn't just an expert in one area. He had a tremendous range of topics that he was expert in. So besides, uh, so let me just mention some of them. He was one of the greatest Kabbalists of the last 300 years. Not only that, but he was tremendous in method, how to learn, how to think, logic, or even ontology and so on, which is a study, the science of being. So he wrote him on method, methodology of how to learn uh, and what the best way to proceed. He, of course, is famous for the Mesilat Seshurim. The book, of course, the righteous, and so on, and uh, that's one of the greatest uh, books on Musa ever written. I mean, that that has become the standard classic of the Musa movement. You know, where a person wants to grow in what's called avodah, serving God. So he wrote that. He wrote Tzvaim in Hashkofa, as I mentioned now, and also of course Derech Hashem. Uh, he was an incredible kabbalist. He also wrote plays, very interesting, which is based on Kabbalah. And he wrote poetry. He wrote an entire Tehillim, 150 chapters of Tehillim by himself. He wrote a second Zohar. And, uh, I mean, just it's astounding how somebody could do so much with such depth uh, and only live to be 40 years old. He is buried in Tferia next to Rabbi Akiva, which is interesting because Ramchal lived till 40 and Rabbi Akiva first became, you know, did uh, chuva so to speak, uh, when he was 40. So they say that the Ramchal was a gilgal of Rabbi Akiva and he sort of like made up for the first 40 years that Rabbi Akiva was not really, um, you know, I wouldn't say he wasn't religious, but certainly wasn't anywhere near the scholar, the, the Tanah that he was, and so on, you know. So we're talking about a tremendous individual, you know, and he, like I say, he had a hard life because he was pursued. The problem was that he lived right after Shapsai Tzvi, the false messiah. So Jews became tremendously suspicious of anybody who would know Kabbalah. Uh, because it was tremendously tainted and stigmatized because of Shabzai Tzvi, the false messiah. He declared himself to be a mashiach. Of course, ultimately, of course, he wasn't. Uh, I'm not going to go into the whole story of him. but uh, So, therefore, anybody who was into Kabbalah right around that time, which is about 1686, I think that's when Shabzai Tzvi died, was very suspect of being a student or a follower of Shatz, Shatz Eitzvi. And there were people that suffered because of that, you see. Uh, in fact, there are three people who suffered. One was the Baal Chasidus; Tov, uh, He suffered greatly. Uh, second one was Rabbi Yonis and Eipschitz, tremendous uh, genius, famous for his form that he wrote on the Shurchan uh, and the third, of course, was Rabbi Meishchaim Lutzato, Ramchal. And uh, they suffered because, like I say, there were tremendous mikubal uh, Kabbalists. Uh, and, and by then, everybody was very, very uh, cautious and suspicious about Kabbalah. <clears throat> so he was pursued. He was persecuted. And uh, where, in many places where he left. Now, what's unusual about Ramchal, which should be mentioned, is that he had Gilei Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet Eliyahu, appeared to him and used to learn with him uh, when he was only 20 years old, which is astounding. And besides that, in one of the poems that he wrote, which is called Pekulim Chadoshim, New uh, Rectifications, he brings down that he used to be visited by incredible Nishamas. Avraham Avinu, right? Eliyahu Anovi, as I mentioned. He was also visited by Malochem. I mean, so we don't really have an idea who this man was. Uh, but um, obviously he was phenomenally great. He is one of the basic uh, Kabbalists, foundational Kabbalists, uh, of the last 300 years. He and the Vilnagoyin and the Rashash these people formulated, and of course the, the Ari was the basic, the basic text. Uh, but these three people who followed him uh, contributed enormously to Kabbalah. Now, one of the things that the Ramchal did was that he also not only wrote Svarim books in Kabbalah, uh, but he also wrote the, what's called the Nimsho. It means what is the interpretation. Of the Kabbalah as brought down by the Ari. In fact, <clears throat> what's interesting, the story, a fascinating story, is that uh, the nephew of Raphaim Volozhin, Raphaim Volozhin was the greatest student of the Vilna Goyen. So the nephew of Chaim Volozhin wrote Raphaim Volozhin, and he said, I just finished a Sefer that was written by the Ramchal, the Adibamoram. And he said, it's phenomenal. Why was he persecuted that he didn't live very long? He died at the age of 40 in a cholera epidemic in Akko. Why did the Moshem take him away? And so on. So, Reb Chaim Velazhin writes him, he says, I don't really know the answer, but I will tell you what my Rebbe, the Vilna Goyen says. And the Vilna Goyen was among the greatest Jews of the last Five, six hundred years. He was phenomenal. <clears throat> and the Vilna Goyen says, here's what the Vilna Goyen said uh, <clears throat> is that when I learned the Sforum, the books of Raphaim Vital, who's the major student of the Ari, I wasn't sure, is the Vilna Goyen speaking? I wasn't sure if Chaim Vital. Who was the major student of the Ari? Understood the interpretation of the Kabbalah as brought down by the Ari. He brought it down, but did he really know what the Ari was referring to? Because a great deal of what the Ari wrote was in code. You know, it represents ideas. But what about the interpretation of those ideas? Did Rabchaim Vital know them? So I wasn't sure. This is what the Vilna going is saying. But then when I saw in certain places, I saw that Rav Chaim Vital does understand what he called the Nimshol, the the, uh, interpretation of the analog of the Ari. And then the Vilna going continues, Rav Moshe Chaim Borur, he definitely understands the Nimshol, the interpretation of the Kabbalah of the Ari, I mean, it wasn't even a doubt. <clears throat> and the Vilna going ends off, Ubor Hashem, and thank God, Gamani. I also know what the, the Ari was really referring to. So this is Abchaim Volozhin telling his nephew. Could you imagine the Vilna Goin saying that about anybody else? Uh, that he wasn't even sure if Chaim Vital uh, understood the interpretation of the Ari, you see. But the Ramchal was definite that he understood. So we, and like I say, the Vilna Goyen is one of the greatest Jews, scholars, in the last five, six, seven hundred years. There are people that compare them to Rishonim, you see. <clears throat> that just goes to show you what the Ramchal was, you know. In fact, the, the story is also that when somebody brought him the manuscript, when they brought the Vilna Goyen, the manuscript of the Ramchal, the Adem Amaram, that's safer. <clears throat> he said to the person, Wait. And he went inside and he put on his <clears throat> big day Shabbos. He put on his clothing that he wears on Shabbos, right? Uh, and then he went out and accepted the Safer. That's how great the Safer was that he would actually change his garments. I'm just astounding, you see. <clears throat> And we know what the, the Vilna Goyen said. It's, a, it's a quite well known that uh, the Ramchal was alive. I mean, the Vilna I think, was born in 1720, was it 1725. In any case, Ramchal was Nifta not long after in, in uh, 1747. But anyway, he was no longer alive. So the Vilna said if the uh, Ramchal was alive today, he, the Vilna would walk from Vilna which is in Lithuania, to Padua, which is in Italy, by foot, to learn at the feet of the Ramchal. Well, that gives you some idea of who uh, the Ramchal is. And uh, the the, the statement also by the Vilna going on the Sefer that the Ramchal wrote, the Masila Sisham, that he said there's not one extra word in the first 11 chapters ...of that savior called Mesir HaSeshoram. Anyway, so we're dealing with an extraordinary person, you see. And one of the things that I mentioned about Ramchal... ...was that he was a tremendous expert in thinking, logic. And his whole approach was to organize Torah. And that's what he did, you see. In any case, this, therefore... Is just a small sample of who Ramchal was. And tonight is his Yodzite. So I'm saying this year now for the cover of the Yodzite and so on, you know. Um, and uh, look, he's a pr- profound, prolific author.
1: <clears throat> and
0: I always find it ironic that the people who persecuted him, wherever they, wherever they are, Nobody really ever heard of them. I mean, it, uh, some of them are all known in terms of some of the swarm they wrote. But whoever heard of these people, and they persecuted the Ramchal, you see. Uh, one of the people was Moshe Chagiz, who was a very harsh person. But like I say, people were afraid of the Ramchal because he was a young person. He was 20 years old, and he was spouting ideas of Kabbalah that nobody ever heard of. Uh, so they suspected, But whoever heard of Moshe chagis Not many. But Ramchal is known in three different segments of the Jewish population. He is considered the father <clears throat> that he's the one who uh, brought back the uh, learning of Hebrew, modern Hebrew. Because he wrote all his from in a beautiful Hebrew. So he is considered the father of modern Hebrew, it's interesting, by such people as Bialik, who are, you know, obviously extremely secular and so on. So he's considered a very important person in that world, the Jewish secular studies world. He's considered tremendous, of course, by all the Litvisha, you know, in terms of who he is, and also by the Hasidim. So he is world-known which is interesting, even though, you know, at the time that he uh, lived, he was in many ways uh, persecuted, because they they were not sure, many people believed that maybe he was a follower of Shabzai Tzvi, which of course is completely false. In fact, he wrote a whole sefer called Kinnas Hashem Tzavokas, against Shabzai Tzvi, showing the mistakes that this man made, and how he deceived Millions of Jews. Shabzai three Any case, <clears throat> this is some of the uh, biography of the Ramchal to, to appreciate really what he was. As such, uh, I'm going to continue again, because the that I give are all based on the plan, the ideas, the structure of Rabbi Moshe Chaim uh, it's really what, uh, in many ways, the basis of all these shurim is ramchal. So I'm going to therefore continue uh, giving it <clears throat> the shurim. Now, I had mentioned uh, uh, last time, <clears throat> but I, 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 it's worthy uh, it's uh, uh, to repeat just some of the ideas, and we understand something very unique about God's plan. <clears throat> what the Muslim wanted at Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, you see, what he wanted is that each Jew should be a personification or a residence of the Shekhinah itself. You see. Now that means, the Shekhinah itself, that each Jew really should be you see he should be himself right where the Shechina should actually reside in the Neshama of each Jew which is very very interesting how do we know this because it says and I will dwell in their midst <clears throat> what that tells us is that God, the entry point into creation of the Rabbanisham's divine presence, is really the, the uh, Neshama of the Jew. That is the entry point of the uh, Shekhinah in creation itself. Now, that's originally what God's plan was. <clears throat> However, ultimately what happened is that uh, because the Jew sinned at the golden calf, what therefore happened is the Bershom said, even though I enter their neshama, and that is the portal of entry into the creation, is the neshama of a Jew, but because of the fact that they introduced, as I mentioned, the Zoyama back into creation, they, if they want to experience me, they cannot experience me internally. They have to experience me by going external to a Beis HaMikdash, a building, outside, and then they can experience me. Uh, so it shows you that initially, every Jew was to be, supposed to be a Beis HaMikdash, and that's a very important idea, you see. Because, like I said, because it says, and I will dwell in their midst, which means that the entry point, like I said, of God into the Bria, His divine presence, His shrine, right, is the Neshama of a Jew. But it was spoiled again because of the sin of the golden calf. So that's the first dramatic change uh, in our relationship to God. You see, now the second idea is that the Rebbe Hashem wanted to give the Torah, not through Moshe. And the proof of that is that he gave the first two mitzvahs. I am the Lord your God that took you out of Egypt, and you shall have no other gods before me. Those two mitzvahs, which are the first two commandments of the Eserah Adibris, was given to the Jews directly, not through Moshe. And that's why the Gematria of Torah is six hundred and eleven, because two of them were given directly to the Jews, and not through Moshe. <clears throat> so the question: What does that mean? Well, it means several things, and which is very important. The first thing it means that in order for the Jews to receive the Torah, not through Moshe Rabbeinu, but directly. themselves, could you imagine? Each Jew uh, received the Torah directly from God, the first two mitzvahs. Directly from God. That means something astounding. Uh, In order to receive the Torah from God himself, you have to have the level of prophecy equal to Moshe Rabbeinu. Because only that level of prophecy can serve as a conduit for the Shechina to give the Torah. To that person. You see. That's why Mershah Abenu was the greatest Navi. He was the greatest prophet. Because he received the Torah. And only the. Highest level of prophecy. The Vua, Can have that clarity. Where Torah can be given through him. So it comes out. That every Jew is equal to Mershah Abenu. For the first two mitzvahs. Because they received The Torah from God directly, right? Therefore, they had to have that type of nevur in order to do this. Could you imagine that every Jew experienced the prophecy level, prophetic level of Moshe Abenu? It's astounding. Yet, that's what happened. Why? Because what the Moshe wanted is that every Jew should receive the Torah by themselves. They don't need an intermediary through Moshe, they can receive it themselves, what that tells you you know, is that the level of Neshama of each Jew is awesome because he really potentially can be a conduit to receive the Torah not through Moshe but that tells you that the Neshama the soul of each Jew is beyond comprehension the problem was, of course, is that they did the sin of the golden calf, and therefore that uh, became impossible. But what really happened then, historically, is that the Jews, like I told you before, they all died because they could not uh, re- receive that level of prophecy. It was too great for them. So they all died, and the Torah presented itself to God and said, who are you going to give me to a dead people? So he resurrected them, which I spoke about previously. You see, so they all came running to Moshe, and this is in the Torah, where they said, we cannot tolerate this. You be the intermediary. In other words, God should give the Torah through you, which is amazing. Because they realized that, you know, they, they they cannot tolerate that level of holiness, you see. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, fine. But we see something interesting uh, that what the Rabbanishim wanted is that each Jew should be the, the conduit, because that's how great the Neshama is of a Jewish person. Now, uh, so that was the first attempt, if you think about it, that God wanted to give the Torah to the, through the Jews and not through Moshe. This is astounding. But like I said, you know, they all died and they were resurrected, and they all came to Moshe saying, We don't want this. We can't uh, tolerate this. You be the intermediary. But did God give up where He wanted to make each Jew, right, the recipient of the Torah? No, He didn't. So there was a second attempt to do this. <clears throat> now, it's interesting when you think about it. You know, the Jews left Egypt, right? But Egypt itself was a place of tremendous tumour. So you could take a Jew out of Egypt, just remove him physically. But can you take Egypt out of the Jew? Much more difficult. Because once you've been in a country for so many years, you become habituated to the culture, you know, the lifestyle of that country, the values, the beliefs, So, the question is, why do Bansham think that these people who had slave mentalities in Egypt for hundreds of years, that they could actually elevate themselves to receive the Torah? And the answer is because, this shows you, what the was hoping, in a certain sense, is that the Jews would do a quantum leap. And somehow, in one fell swoop, they would say, this is incredible to talk to God directly and receive His Torah. And therefore, they would rise up to the occasion. You see, that would be incredible. That's what God wanted. In other words, it it would have been possible for the Jewish people to make that quantum leap. Very difficult, yes, but it is possible that the Gemara talks about this kind of uh, attempt as yesh k'nei lomoi b'sho'achas is sometimes possible for a person to receive an unbelievable ilim habo in one minute because he took a quantum leap in something, you know, which required an enormous amount of difficulty. And that's what the Bansham wanted, that even though, you know, how do you take Egypt out of the Jew. Right? <clears throat> uh, he wanted the Jews to accept the Torah and to be on that level of prophecy. So he tried by doing it and they all died. So, like I said, they went to Moshe Abenu and they said, you have to be the intermediate. So that's the first idea. But did the Rabbanu Shalom give up? No. He now was going to try again to do this. And what does that mean? It's very interesting. Uh, we know how did it happen that they built the uh, the, uh, the golden calf, the Chet Ego? because Moshe Abeinu said he's coming back right at a certain time, right on the 40th day. And Moshe Abeinu said a certain time. Now a novi is never wrong; he's always right. So all of a sudden it came that Moshe did not come down the mountain. At that time, you see. So therefore, they felt that maybe Moshe Rabbeinu is dead. You know, because why didn't he come at that time? Now, the real reason is that they made a mistake. You know, because in those days, he didn't have a watch. There was no clock. So they thought that the hour had been reached, but really, it hadn't. You see, there was another time, hour, whatever it was, and that's when Moshe would come back. So they panicked. Now, what was this? What it really was is very interesting. Is the Bansham again gave them a second chance. You see, because they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, we can't do this except the turf from God directly. Right? We want you to be the intermediary. So what the Bansham said, okay, I'm going to remove Moshe Rabbeinu as being the intermediary. So he purposely set the Jews up that they would think Moshe's gone. And therefore, what he wanted them to say is, okay, <clears throat> we already experienced, right, God giving us a Torah directly. You know, let us, you know, really rise to the occasion and because we can do it ourselves without Moshe. So what the Russian was hoping is that that's exactly what they would do. Take that quantum leap, you see, that we can... have the direct revelation of the Rebensham. And therefore the concept that Moshe Rabbeinu was late is a setup. Right? It was on purpose. Not to make the Jews fail. But that the Jews should say, well, we already experienced God. Right? Maybe we could do it ourselves. Even if Moshe is gone. That's what the Rebensham was hoping. You see? Which again tells us that it is possible for a person, right, to uh, have a, a tremendous uh, ability that he can actually, in, in, like in one moment, be worthy of uh, a, a level of kedusha, which can take, on the average, many, many years. any case, so that was two attempts by the Muslim to try to get the Jews to interact with him directly. You see, uh, one is that actually by experiencing that revelation with God, right? The first two mitzvahs. And then the second one was to take away Moshe Rabbeinu. You see? So now what are they going to say? They can't go back to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, you be, you be the intermediary, right? So he tried twice. And unfortunately, tragically, I should say, uh, what happened It uh, didn't work. You know? Instead, they went and built an Aved a, an eagle, a golden calf, right? And they wanted that to be the intermediary uh, between them and God. In any case, <clears throat> so this concept of what really happened by the Chet HaEgel, it's a very unique time, it shows you what the Rosh really wanted. You see, that the Jews are holy enough, really, getting a Shema is great enough, right? That they can take over for Moshe Just shows you what a Neshama really is. Tragically, of course, it didn't happen. You see. So, therefore, the Basham gave the Torah through Moshe Because they chose, of course, to be left out of it. So, uh, this is a really, in many ways, a very important idea. You know, what the real story of the Chetra Ego, what it really was, and indicates the true potential of the soul, the neshama of a Jew, you see. Now what happened as a result of that? Well, as a result of all of this, the Torah, as described, went into the Kripa. What does that mean? That means that the the Torah itself is now surrounded by the Zoyama. It It doesn't penetrate the Torah, you see, but the Zoyama serves now as a wall as a barrier around the torah that brings about certain consequences you see mm-hmm. so the task of the jew therefore is to take the torah out of the zohar yeah that is really what he's supposed to do is take it out mm-hmm. now we know what the torah would have been if it never had been surrounded by the zohar right the Luchas Rishonis, the first tablets. That was the Orishim, the Messianic light, right? And that's what would have happened. What would they have experienced if they had the Luchas Rishonis, the first tablets? First of all, the Torah would enter their mind with total clarity, no problem. It's clear. Not only that, but all the inferences, the implications of the Torah. Would be readily, immediately available, you see, by the Jewish person. So that's the second concept of what the Lucas <clears> Rishonis <throat> would have provided. This is what the Old Rishon is. That's what's going to happen in the Messianic era. The third idea is the speed, it would have entered the Jewish mind with tremendous speed, you see, and it would be super organized. Which means that everything would have been, <clears throat> instead of being in a confusion, where it's disorganized, right, out of sequence and so on, it would be super organized, right? And that is the Luchas Rishonis, you see. Now, where do we see that? Because there's a posik in Mishpatim. It says, ve'ela Mishpatim, and these are the laws, HaShet Tossim they will place before them. Now, Rashi points out that verse, that pasuk, and these are the uh, laws that you will place before them. What do you mean? You don't place laws before anybody. You teach them. It should have said, and these are the laws that you will teach them. Instead it says, and these are the laws that you will place before them. It sounds like some kind of an object. So, Rashi brings down and says, a very, very important idea. What he says is the following. Is that God appeared, you know, to, when he was teaching Moshe he said to Moshe right, when you teach them, the Jews, the Torah that I'm giving you, don't just teach them the law, right? But you must also tell them, time the reason for the law, which is called the principle. You see, it's not only the law itself, which is the situation and the din, the law, you need to tell them the reasoning behind it. Why is this law true? Why is this conduct applicable to this situation? So that's the first thing the said. Uh, the second thing he said is just don't give them halachas, but you need to organize it for them, a structure, you see, and <clears throat> that is what's meant that you will place before them like a shulchan orach like a prepared table imagine you sit down at some type of an event the table is prepared right it's not just the items on the table but it's also each item right has its place exactly where it has to be on that table so the reverbershim tells manshabenu so not only you teach them the laws but it has to have the principles the reason for each law, and all of this has to be organized in a tremendous form, like a a prepared table. That is the all reason, you see. Uh, So therefore, what we understand from that is if a Zoyama surrounds that, then it changes. The ability of somebody to access the law is very different, you see. Then you may have a law which does not have a reason, or it's not brought down clearly, and not only that, but the laws are being presented in a very disorganized way, which would have been very different, right, from what Masha uh, Rabbeinu was asked, uh, you see. So therefore, that's the creeper, that's the shell that surrounds the kernel, you see, that's the shell of a fruit, or, 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 or a nut, and so on, you see. So the Zoyama surrounds the Torah and therefore, in many ways, confuses everybody because it's not clear. It takes a tremendous amount of effort to gain a clarity, right? And it's not organized, you see. So this is what the the shape, the form of the Torah is in now. The Torah, in many ways, is surrounded by the Zoyama, it's, it doesn't, it's not woven into the Torah, of course not, but it surrounds it and serves as a barrier. In fact, the Ari says, when you learn the Torah, and you have a kasha, a question, the reason why you have that question is because of the zoyama that surrounds that halacha. In other words, a question, a difficulty, that you have is the actual manifestation of the Zoyama around the Torah. That's what the Ari says, which is, when you think about that, that's astounding, you see. But then the question is, what's the task of the Jew? The task of the Jew really is to take the Torah out of the Zoyama, and then automatically everything will become clear, you see. Where do we see that? What does that mean? It means that Yagiyah, Yagiyah means tremendous effort, breaks the klipper. That's it. For the Jew, his yegiyah, his effort, his tremendous uh, you know, uh, application of himself when he applies himself greatly and thinks that actually breaks the shell that surrounds the Torah. You see, that's referred to by Chazal in different ways. It says, "Yogato matzosa. If you your gea, if you put in tremendous effort, right, then you will find it. it means then you will understand terror. again, because you broke what's called the shell, the klipo or the zayama, or the famous at the end of the when you finish the You know it says, uh, "They Vanachna You know they uh, they labor and we labor they labor, and they do not receive reward. We do. Why? Because the labor is what breaks the Klippa. The labor is what breaks that which surrounds the Torah, you see? So they don't receive reward for that. Their major idea is to understand the concept. Our idea is to labor and break the Zoyama and automatically the concept of the Torah that we're trying to figure out is released, and immediately enters our mind. That's a very interesting concept of what ter- what happens when you learn Turo. When you apply yourself and expend a lot of effort, automatically that will break the shell, and therefore that concept that you're trying to understand breaks into your mind with tremendous clarity. It's interesting. If somebody's Yugea, if somebody's applies tremendous amount of labor and effort, let's say in New York, and therefore he breaks the creeper of that area of Torah, then somebody in Los Angeles would immediately understand it because that shell is broken by that guy in New York. Yeah. So, it comes out a tremendous idea that your gear, you see, is what does it. It breaks the creeper, it allows you to understand the Torah. And that breaks, the, when say breaks, uh, the, uh, Qalipa, it breaks the Kalippa, it breaks the zoyamas hold that serves as a barrier to the actual Torah. It's a very different way of understand this, of understanding what the, uh, the essential task of the Jew is in terms of his learning Torah. <clears throat> and by the way, this also answers something which is interesting. You know, it, it says uh, you know, there's a Gemara in Sanhedrin that says, it says in, uh, in uh, Eicher, you have placed me in darkness. So the Gemara says something which is remarkable. It says, Talmud Bavli. this is the Babylonian Talmud. It's incredible. Because if you notice the way we have the Torah, which is Mishnai, in the Gemara, right? So of course, these are tremendous, uh, there's a tremendous swarm of the Torah, uh, whatever. But in many ways, the, the, it's, it's not in many ways written in a way that we can use as a textbook. I mean, we have no choice to use them because we use them. But in many ways, if you look at them, they're not written like a textbook, you see, which would mean that they are sequential, they're written in a, a perfect sequence. And also, there's a tremendous amount of missing, you know, in, in, in the exposure of what they say. For instance, if you learn a Mishnah, right, many times a Mishnah, many times, most times, does not give you the background information. It's missing a tremendous amount of information. It's missing the reason for this law. Why is this the law in this situation? It's missing, right, in other words, the principle. Then it's missing even what's the authority. Is. is it rabbinical or biblical? It, 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 in other words, the mishnai itself, even though that's what it's for, or that's what it, it was written for, uh, is not really in a textbook. And that is why it's so difficult to learn Mishnais as a textbook to understand the oral law. Why is that? Because that's the klipa, That is the Zoyama that surrounds everything written. You see, I mean, there's a great deal to say about that. But that's basically what happened because of the Cheta Ego. In fact, something very interesting, think about that. There's what's called Daf which, of course, we all know that there's a tremendous movement to learn one Bala a day. You see. But the question is, why wasn't there Daf Yoyimi 300 years ago? Why now? Why now was it proposed by Rav Meir Shapiro, I think in 1923? Uh, And the idea to that is very fascinating because as we approach, right, as we get closer and closer to the end, which is the Messianic era, there's greater and greater darkness, which I have mentioned many times, even Ramchal talks about that, there's greater and greater darkness, which means that less and less people learn the Torah, you see? So if less people learn the Torah, then less people know the Torah. And they certainly are not applying labor and effort. So there's no Yagiyah. There's no effort and so on and labor. So therefore, what is going to break the Kripa? You see? Because if there's less Torah because there's greater darkness, right? And therefore there's less learning, and obviously there's less effort, uh, then how do you break what's called the Zoyama that surrounds the Torah like a barrier? And therefore, and this is true at the end of time, you see, when there's tremendous darkness and there's a tremendous absence of people learning Torah. So what the did is fascinating. He said, I'm going to create or institute, and he gave that idea to Rabbi Shapiro, I actually gave it to the Chortkov of Rebbe. <clears throat> but in any case, so Ramea Shapiro had this idea. What was the idea to learn one blot a day? But what's interesting about a Taphyoimi is it's not really education. Education is where you learn and you know. But guys who learn Taphymi, they learn it for seven and a half years, the whole shas, do they really know it? Of course not. You can't know the Gemara by learning a blot a day, you say <clears throat> you see. In fact, I, I always say, in, in, a, in a comical way, the only way a guy can say I forgot the whole shots is by learning Dafyomi. And that's what happens. You forget everything. Because you can't retain anything, learning a a day. It's much too quick, you see. So therefore, what the Rosham did is very interesting. He put the idea of Dafyomi in the mind of Mayor Shapiro, whatever, and the Jews have gravitated that, which is great. At least that, right? And so therefore, that would provide the gear. you see? So even though we're getting close to the Messianic era, and therefore there's tremendous darkness, which means tremendous ignorance. Amho aratzos. You see, that's what it means, ignorance. Well, most people don't learn, or if they do learn, they don't know. Uh, so Bansham said, but I'm going to somehow give them the effort and labor, right? Not only in trying to understand, but the main thing is that they have to get up at 5.30 in the morning to do the daf. Or they have to persist in doing the daf again and again and again. That gear breaks the kripa. Uh, that's why yomi is appropriate in the end of time. Because instead of doing the effort and labor to learn and know the Gemara, which is what they used to do, right... In the end of time, when there's very little Torah learned, so the effort and labor is not so much knowing it, right? It's self sacrifice. It's Messiah's Nefesh. That's what does it. So that counts. If you are self sacrificed to learn the Torah, Gemara, Mishnais, or whatever, Shekharan, and so on, right? even if you don't really understand it because you're going too fast, or whatever, the fact that you have to Messias Nefesh, you have to self sacrifice in order to understand it, you see, that itself, the fact that you have to be there, and learn a blot a day, or whatever, that yidhi, that labor and effort, will break the creeper. you see, that is why dafyoimi, is completely appropriate, only for the end of time, because if it's not the end of time, and it doesn't have to be such darkness, then the mere learning itself, and understanding will break the Kripa. It's interesting. So we see actually why there is such a thing as Dafyomi and why it has been successful. So this basically is what is happening. You see, our job is to take the Torah out of the Zoyama that surrounds it because of the sin of the golden calf. And that determined why the Torah, not the Torah, but the Gemara and the Mishnahists is written in such a way which is very confusing. And that Gemara said, Ba Hoshivani, you have placed me in darkness. And this is why, you see, because our job is to break the Zoyama, its hold on the Torah itself, in order to take it out. Is the Torah coming out of the Kripa? And the answer is yes. How do we see that? Well, take a look. There's a certain phenomenon that has been uh, happening and I'm going to say something which I don't think they understand this they certainly don't know this but if you take a look there's a tremendous amount of svaram which are printed because of the, the advent not just of printing but the advent of computers everybody can now write a sefer on his own and actually print it out you see and not only that a tremendous amount of svaram are now in English French, Art Scroll. Well, Art Scroll is an example of the Torah coming out of the Zoyama. It's getting easier to learn Torah because it is now being translated, right? Not only translated, but if you take a look at the Art Scroll Gemara, it's not only translated, right? But all the incomplete thoughts, the missing ideas in a sentence are there, Because if you think about it, the Gemara is missing every third word. It's not really a full composition. And that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult. But that's ending because what Ratzkall did is they inserted, right, every missing thought, and they made it a full composition, you see. And not only that, but they have the background information. They have notes. It's astounding. They've completely, in many ways, changed the Tzura of Shas. Why? Or why I should really say, how are they able to do that? The answer is, because, because of all the dedication of all the years of Jews learning and also labor to learn, they have risen the Torah out of the Zoyamah. Correct. And therefore, the argument in heaven now is, well, since the Torah is now much less surrounded by the Zoyamah, we can now make it easier to learn. You see, because if you remember, I said the Ari: when you have a kasha, a difficulty, that is the zayama attaching itself to your mind, and you find it very difficult to understand. Uh, so, art scroll or all the other publishers that are translating and making Judaism tremendously available to Jews is only and why now? Why only in the last 40 years? Because the answer is because through the labor and effort of the Jews for thousands of years, the Jews in many ways have succeeded. Not totally, because there's something else that has to be done, but to translate the Talmud and to insert the missing sentences, to put in notes of Rishonim and Achronim, to put in background information, and so on, of so many different forms besides Gemara. Everything is being translated, you see? Or everything is being commented on. There's so much, there's such a proliferation of sforum. It's because the Torah is leaving the Kripo, the Very, very interesting. Uh, and uh, I believe that's the Hashkofer reason for the creation of Art Scroll, right? For the creation of what's happening in this forum world by Jews, you see? Because of the effort and labor that has been done. And also, this is why there's such a thing as Daffyoimi. Because a, in, a, in a world that's completely devoid of Torah, or almost devoid, right, you need your gear. And the only way you have your gear is not through knowledge, but it's rather self sacrifice. Messias Nefesh, which is what everybody who learns, right, Daffyoimi, has to do. It's a tremendous labor to persist, to learn uh, 2,711 pages for seven and a half years. So, we see the repercussions in many ways of the Chetor Ego, the sin of the golden calf. We also see what God really wanted. You know, it's a whole different understanding. But you should know one thing. All of that will be restored in the Messianic era. All of it, you see. Where the Luchas Rishonis you see, will then reassemble itself, so to speak, and the Torah again will be the Messianic light, but that Messianic light is totally different because it will include information which is beyond belief. Beyond belief. The details of the Messianic light we cannot even begin to comprehend. And that's part of the Messianic era. It's not where everything will have a Jew will just close his eyes and all of a sudden in will fly tira, with total clarity all the inferences, tremendous speed no problems, no difficulties, no questions super organized, right? right? it will be taka, like, like a Tosem you will place it before them, like a Shulchan Aruch a prepared table, but the details will be staggering details of the entire creation will be staggering for each Jew and that's what's going to happen. In fact what I would say is if you want to understand the manifestation of what does it mean for Torah to be surrounded by the Zoyama, look at the physical form of the Luchas Rishonis, the first tablets. They're shattered, they're broken and they are behind the second tablets Well, in that state of being shattered, think about that. You can't reach any clarity. You can't learn from them, right? You know how much labor and difficulty it would take? So it comes out that broken pieces of the first tablets is the real physical manifestation of the messianic light. In the Kripa, you see, in the Zayama, that's really what it is. And someday... They will all, that will all be repaired, you see, in the messianic era. And then every Jew will have, as an automatic inheritance, the entire law, the entire oral law, Hashkopha, Kabbalah, you name it. Every Jew will be a massive Tamad Chacham, the way the Rabbanishim wanted it, really, in the beginning of time, when he gave the Torah. Any questions?
1: Yeah, I have a couple of questions. Okay. Okay. So, my first question is: Is could women break the klipta also from the yes, from the Torah?
0: yes, yes.
1: Thank you. Um, because a
0: woman really has to learn Torah in terms of the mitzvahs that she has. A woman is is obligated to form mitzvahs, right? Uh, you know. Uh, She's exempt from a mitzvah saseh, which time demands, determined by time. But if it doesn't demand time, she has to observe that, the mitzvah the positive commandment. She also has to observe all the negative commandments, right, every one. Therefore, she has to learn, because how else is she going to know? Well, once you have to learn and you are obligated, right, to learn, to know, then that will break the klipa.
1: So, are there ways to break the zohamah that klipa easier?
0: Say that again. Are
1: there certain tactics that um, a person could break the klipa. Like for for you, for instance, like you were saying, like in order for us to understand something, we'll, we have to toil on it, and then all of a sudden the klipa breaks, and then you immediately have a clarity of that subject that you we're trying to learn. Yes. So are there easier? Are there certain tactics tactics to break the klipa easier? <laughs>
0: Uh, well, it's a very good question. Uh, there are, right? And one of them, uh, you see, the greater attempt that you want to achieve in terms of clarity and organization, that's the greatest way to break the clipper, you see. Because the Torah in the form, it's called teferis, beauty. The Torah really is supposed to be in the form of beauty, it's like you look at a magnificent painting. where Everything is there. It's not confusion or a challenge. Everything is in its exact place. And it's clear. And it's super organized. Right? It's the same idea. Torah really has to be super organized. That's its real form. That's called teferis, beauty. <clears throat> the Torah, that beauty has been taken away. You see. And, and, and that's because of the sins of the Jews and the Zoyamo. You see. In fact, there's a postic in Tachnol. Ad Mosai Bashri. How long will your might be in captivity? V'sif Alcho, And your beauty, right? beyond the Tzor, whatever, right? In the hands of the enemy. So, might, which is really in many ways Hatzlocho, And beauty of knowledge. This has been given over to the Goyim. You see. And that is why they are proliferating. It's a whole topic in terms of science and chokhmah and so on. They have the Teferis. We have the foundation of the Torah. But it's not in the form of Teferis beauty. It's tremendous confusion. Because it is surrounded by a klipa. It's not a Shulchan Aruch. Where God said to Moshe, you've got to teach them in a structured way. So the lack of structure, the lack of connecting the dots, is one of the greatest impediments in learning Torah. That's why so many people don't understand what's going on. You see, there's so much missing. The dots are not connected, you know. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and there are many, many other problems besides that the material has no background information, and therefore a, a person says, I don't know what's going on. Of course not, because you have no foundation. I mean, there's a great deal to comment on this, which maybe I'll try to do uh, next week, which is the, before Martin Torah. What is the way of Tferis? What would the Torah look like if there was Tferis, which is beauty, you see? <clears throat> and the Ramchal speaks a lot about that, especially the Hagdama, the introduction, the Derech Hashem. He actually speaks a lot about that. It's very important to know. So if you learn in that way, that Yegiya will really break the Kripo. Because it's not just learning the details, but it is learning the details insofar as they relate to each other in a structure, in a framework. You see, as a, uh, you're looking at it as a as a totality of building. You see, So in that sense, uh, that's one of the ways of breaking the klippa. Because you are replicating the Torah in the form of beauty.
1: So just the desire to have the clarity breaks it.
0: Yes. Because God considers the makshav of a Jew. The thought, the desire, the will of a Jew and he will reward you for that. Right? Got
1: it. So do you think that's why, I mean, I'm just going off topic, but your Mishnah map, why it hasn't been really being able to develop fully yet because it's still in the Klippa?
0: The answer is yes. Very short answer. Yes. Because the, the thing that I want to do, which really needs a great explanation, the map, the greatest way to understand, could you imagine if you look at a map you know, of, let's say, New Jersey, <clears throat> you would see everything in New jersey. But the beauty, the beauty of it is you understand every geographical point, the distance, and the orientation, north, west, south, or east. What happens if instead of geographical points, you had what's called uh, halachas? Could you imagine looking at a map of the totality of an entire masechta, each one in its exact place, of how it relates to everything else. That would revolutionize your understanding and it would revolutionize Chinuch. Because that is the way to understand. You could teach an entire Masechta in one week. Because you would be looking at a map that has all the ideas. And the way to do it is not through the Gemara because the Gemara is concerned with solving problems. That's the sugya. You could do it with the Mishnahis. You see? So, Theoretically, it is possible, I'm not going to explain now, uh, it is possible to teach 4,192 Mishnais with not only the ideas of the Mishnah, that's how many Mishnahs there are, but all the missing information. You could put it all into a map and you could teach that entire Mishnah in one week. And it would lend itself unbelievably to retention. Because the mind loves organized information, you see. And, uh, yes, that would, uh, you know, reinstate Torah in its form of teferis. So the only thing missing then will be the incredible amount of details missing in terms of Kabbalah and so on. How it all connects to Ashkofa and Halakha but at least it would have the what concept called shuchan oruch. It would be like an organized, prepared table, which is nothing more than a word for structure or framework. It's really what it is. So to place all the Mishnaic ideas in the form of a map would revolutionize Jewish education. And if it was done right, you could learn the entire Shishas of Mishnah all 4,192 Mishnahs in one year. Which would uh, be astounding. But that's the beauty of a structure. But the answer to your question is yes. That's the second thing that has to be done. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first problem, the difficulty of Torah, is the language. Most people are not familiar with the language of the Torah, which is a very big mistake. There's a great deal to talk about that. They don't know Hebrew. And they don't know Aramaic. It's interesting that the Rishonim, like Rashi, the Rabag, and so on, they focused a great deal on Dikduk, grammar. Because it wasn't just grammar, it was linguistics. It was Hebrew, language. And there are different types of Hebrew. There's Biblical, Mishnaic, Medieval, and there's Modern. They focused on language. And then of course, once you know Hebrew, Aramaic is not far off, because Aramaic is also a Semitic language, and a great deal of, there's a great deal of similarity between Aramaic and Hebrew, yeah, and that's one of the major problems, most guys are not familiar with Hebrew, to the extent that they should be, because that's the major language you're dealing with, you see, but there's a great deal to talk about that, you know. And uh, unfortunately, it's not done. Language, in many ways, is ignored. And not only that, even the way they teach it is a tremendous mistake. There's a whole different way of teaching linguistics. You know? In fact, if you knew how to organize, you could teach the grammar of the entire Hebrew language in 30 hours. You know? Anyway, those are all ideas which... uh, Okay, understand?
1: so my next question is, um, Hashem didn't want an intermediary uh, when he originally gave us the Torah. Right. Um, eventually he had to use Moshe because, you know, we failed that test. But when Mashiach comes, <coughs> is, is he, wouldn't Mashiach be an intermediary? intermediary?
0: Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, he'll be an intermediary in the sense that he has the so the knowledge will come through him, but, but once the knowledge comes through him, it will then broadcast to every Jew, independent of the Mashiach, because then the Jew has now resumed the fact that he is a center, you see, so Kabbalistically, spiritually, it will come through him, in terms of his Yechidah will be open, you see, to do that. But really, in the end, what's going to happen is each Jew will be privy to the Torah by himself. Because that's the Nevoah. The way people will learn is through prophecy. You see, it's a whole different way of understanding. So he is and is not an intermediary. You see.
1: So our, our ability to have prophecy, that's going to be the quantum leap? When you say quantum leap, what do you mean by
0: that? Yeah, that's the quantum leap. But that leap is because of the golas. We will have deserved that leap. So we're
1: going to leap in olama.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's what it means when God says, I will bring, I will gather you, right? Remember the famous postage in Itzab? Even if your outcast be at the ends of heaven, right? From there, from there means in the creeper itself, I will gather you, right? And from there I will take you and bring you terrors through. And that's God doing it because we have done it. It's the same thing with the Egypt, what happened in Egypt. You know, the Jews did the work of being in Gaulis and therefore suffering for so many years. And God just brought the makkas down. They had accomplished changing the spherus into a certainly a part of it into a physical form, and that is the makkas. Same thing, exact same thing will happen by us.
1: <clears throat> so my my next question is: um, You said that um, Hashem was giving like uh, did a setup for us when Moshe didn't come down from the Har Sinai. Yes. He was giving us a setup so that um, we wouldn't need Moshe, and then we just turned to him. Right. But isn't, doesn't it say in one, in, in somewhere that the Satan showed a picture of yes. Moshe dead? Yes. And the Jews saw that, so that's why they thought that he, he really died.
0: Well, wasn't the picture was an image in the sky?
1: Okay. Of so Moshe Rabbein al- lying
0: in a funeral, what?
1: Why did Hashem allow that image? Like, he was also setting us up to fail at the same time
0: no, what he wanted is the Jews should say okay, it's terrible that Moshe is not with us but we, we already experienced what he did we became prophets as great as him well if we did it once, why can't we continue, you see so he wanted them to make that quantum leap where they would assume the role of Moshe Rabbeinu so in order to convince them him had to make sure that they would think Moshe Rabbeinu was dead. Right? right. No, it's not that Moshe Rabbeinu was missing, or he's late, which itself doesn't make sense. A novi cannot be late. Right? But he wanted to convince them, to provide them an incentive, hopefully, to make that quantum leap. So the sultan had his ideas, because he was hoping that the Jews would not take the quantum leap, right? And they would do the Chet eagle. they would do the golden calf. That's, but God, that, that's the Sutton's plan. But God's plan, it would be more convincing that Moshe Rabbeinu is gone. You see? So, well, what are they going to say? Well, they, I'm, sure, I'm sure there were people probably saying well, Moshe Rabbeinu is late. But the didn't want people to think that, because then what's going to happen? They're going to wait. And of course, he's coming back the next hour. You see, so what was the whole plan for? So he allowed the sultan to do what he wanted to do for his own purposes, uh, right? To provide the final argument that Moshe Rabbeinu is dead. You see? It's like, it's like, it's, what the sultan does is always for his own sake. But the Moshe allows him to be a guinea pig, to be a fool, and to carry out the will of God. And that's what happened. And it was more important that the Jews should think Moshe is gone, so maybe they'll make the quantum leap, and then each Jew will now become a Moshe Rabbeinu. You see? I always say, it's like interesting, the Rambam says, kol odom Every Jew can be like Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? So you have to understand what that means, and so on, without getting into that. But this is literal. Every Jew has his capacity to his neshama, can be as great as Moshe, and that's exactly what the Bansham wanted, three thousand three hundred years ago. You see, so what you're saying is correct, but I'm trying to provide the underlying s- rationale.
1: So going back to Ramchal, um, <clears throat> we never, you, you weren't clear on why did he die so early. You gave us uh, the whole story <coughs> about, uh, you know, what the Vilna Gaon said about Avraham Vita, but what was the ending? Why did Ramchal die so early?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, because Avraham Volosh never really answered that. But the Mizritcha Maggid did say that the re- Mizritcha Maggid is the one who took over for the Baal Shem Tov. He really, after Baal Shem, he was the main man in the whole world of Hasidus. And he said that the reason why the Ramchal died young is because the world was not zoicha. The world was not worthy to have this type of neshama amongst it. Because you remember, he was, he was persecuted. He was put in cherim. They, they, they literally persecuted. They made him take all his farm, put it into a box, a chest, and that box is hidden somewhere in Frankfurt. I don't know if you know that. They, they, Ramchal had a, had a lot of Ksoven writings. One of them, he wrote a thousand page commentary on Kohelas. And he wrote a Zoya Tinyona, a second Zoya. And they're all hidden in that box. And that box is buried somewhere in Frankfurt. Imagine that, there huh? Is
1: anyone looking for it.
0: Somebody told me, which is interesting, a, a long time ago, that he hired a psychic guy to try to find it. <laughs> but the guy wasn't successful. Obvious. You know? So but it's somewhere the, in Frankfurt, Germany. What?
1: That's also the Kleeper?
0: Correct. Yeah. Everything has a reason. You know, everything. Even this.
1: So the makes,
0: said, our, what?
1: What makes our generation Zoche for the Mashiach? Because, like, he was the Mashiach of his time, so obviously the Mashiach of our time is going to have as much knowledge as him eventually as he grows. So what makes us, okay? Our generation is horrible also.
0: Well, if you remember, you asked that question a while back, uh, the last year one, and I answered because we have to finish up what everybody's been doing for a thousand years. So it's easier because of that. And the second thing I said is because we have no idea <clears throat> of the greatness of every Jew because of the unbelievable difficulty of remaining Jewish or remaining religious we have no idea and I, I think I mentioned the Rebbe said the Arishan, that the reward of each Jew in the time of the end will be will be greater than the reward of the Akida by Avram Avinu. that is how difficult it is to remain Jewish in the sense to remain observant. To remain doing mitzvahs. And you know that. You just walk outside your house. You know? and it, it, well, what does it take to begin seeing things you shouldn't see? Thinking about things you shouldn't think about? Fashions? You name it. You see? We, and we don't realize how much we've been affected. So therefore, the reward that a person gets for being observant, and believing in God, Muna is beyond belief. We don't know what that is. So therefore, we are not as bad as we think. We are placed in a very difficult situation, but that's what makes us much greater. Look, they didn't have these Nisirians 2,000 years ago. You know, we do. You know, especially now it's much worse. You know, we live in a country... The whole country has become depraved. It's just beyond belief. The whole world is like this. You know, and so on, you know. So that's why.
1: Was ramcha married?
0: Yes, he, his wife, her name was Sipora. Uh,
1: does it have anything to do with Moshe?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, but he married, uh, what was his father's name, Um uh, uh, I'm trying to remember his father's name. <clears throat> his father-in-law. Uh, he was married, and he actually had, a—I uh, think he had a son. But there was a cholera epidemic that hit Akko, and he died in that cholera epidemic. You know? Uh, so who was Ramchal
1: Gilgul, uh, Gilgulav? Like, what's the, what's the order of the Gilgulim that led up to Ramchal?
0: Well, the Ramchal... Uh, was a sherish of Sheikh Ben Yosef. That's how he was able to do what he can do. Which, uh, you know, it's phenomenal, writings and so on. He was a Gilgal. Rabbi Akiva is a, a sherish of Moshiach Ben Yosef. And the Ramchal, no question, is part of that sherish. He's part of the spark of Rabbi Akiva, his neshama. That's why he's buried next to Rabbi Akiva. You know? But you had, over the years, the Ari is uh, also a Sherish Mashiach Ben Yosef and so on. And if the Jewish people would have been worthy, they could have been Mashiach. But obviously they weren't. On the contrary. They, they, they persecuted Ramchal. Tremendous mistake that they made. And the history vindicated Ramchal. I mean, he's known all over the world as one of the greatest thinkers in the last 300 years. You know, everybody knows Ramchal Lutzato. No, know, of course. Uh, but it just shows you what the, the tremendous mistake that they made. Because the sultan doesn't want it. does just want people doing this. So he was able to, through his prosecutions, his ketrugim, to get the world to reject Ramchal. You see, this is the problem. The sultan has justice. He can argue that this is not just. And therefore, he can get people to reject, you know, what could have brought the Geula. It's just incredible, the power that he has because of the sins of the Jewish people. Other than that, he's nobody. You know, but he's able to dig into the chatoim, and he's able to stop so many things. I mean, there's so, in many ways, there are so many things that are wrong today, in terms of what's happening in the Jewish society, I mean, there's a whole litany of problems that Jews have uh, today, and it's all satanic. You know, he's trying to get Jews to leave Judaism. So the are different levels of leaving. You get them to be much more modern, and that's also leaving at a certain level, you know, and, and they don't dive in the same way. Look, it's a whole discussion in itself, but uh, we live in a very difficult... Look, we live in an era that the window is about to shut. But it won't. Like the Ramchal says, Ad Ad Bechlau. The windows are going to shut until, but not including the until. Because if that shut, the window is completely closed, the world would instantly cease to exist. But could you imagine? It's going to be one nanometer from the end. That's all that's left. And it is. Today we look at it. We are in the Mem You know? You know, I just read a statistic which is horrendous. This was done out of uh, England. An institute. They estimate there are 15.1 million Jews in the world today. How many Haredim are there? Haredim means people who are Torah observant. Right? Only two. 2.1. That means 13 million Jews are gone. Do we have any concept of the tragedy of what that means? That 13 million Jews have nothing to do with the Torah? Really? I mean, Maybe somebody observes, you know, eats matzah together with bread on Pesach because he wants to be traditional. I'm talking about real Haredim, real Torah-observant Jews in whatever capacity, we understand that. And it could be litvish, chasidish, uh It doesn't make a difference, but they're Torah observant. There's only 2 million. Out of 15 million, everybody else is gone. Or partially gone. Or mostly gone. Could you imagine uh, what, what that, the repercussions are for this generation? That is the darkness that we are experiencing, you see.